0: Spoken Word, half an hour of poetry and performance. Your connection to Melbourne's grassroots poetry scene. The voice of those of us who have nothing but our voices.
1: Good morning and welcome to the 3CR Spoken Word Programme. My name is Di Cousins and today I'm talking to Sandy Jeffs about her new book, The Poetics of a Plague, A Haiku Diary. Welcome, Sandy.
0: Oh, Thanks, Di. Thanks for having me.
1: Yeah, it's great you can be on. Uh, Congratulations on the book.
0: Oh, thank you. (laughs) It was a bit of a marathon writing it, but um, I'm so glad that it found its way into a book because I never thought it would.
1: Well, now let's talk about the writing of the book. Now, we're recording in February 2022 and we've come to the second year anniversary of the COVID-19 epidemic.
0: That's right. Day one of the book is the 9th of July. So I started at the 2.2 lockdown.
1: Right. And for anyone listening at a later time or in another place, Melbourne experienced six lockdowns so far anyway. Uh, because of the pandemic but at the time of recording we're not actually in lockdown so that's a win
0: Uh, yes it's nice to have our freedom or relative freedom back
1: yeah now i previously spoke to you uh, a year ago about your book out of the madhouse which was a history of lorundle with um which you co-wrote
0: that's right with uh, margaret leggett yeah Mm -hmm. Ah, oh, that was funny because we had this big launch and then it went into the COVID black hole, like a lot of books did back then, I think.
1: And that was uh, a wonderful um, history that combined personal experience of La Rundle with with with, a, with an oral history and a, an academic element as well.
0: Mm, that's right. It was, yes, it was a multifaceted um, book and I like the idea that it had memoir and history melded together. So...
1: Looking back on um, the COVID pandemic from July to 2020 to September 2021, how do you feel looking, looking at your haiku diary? Oh,
0: well, it's really strange because the, the time has been a mishmash. I mean, it's, sort of, it's gone so quickly, but it dragged so slowly at the time. But like the days dragged, but the months just flew. And so I look back on my book and I think my golly gosh how did I do it how did I every day for hundreds of days sit down and write these haikus about the news and what was happening and just documenting the the pandemic and I sort of can't believe that I did it and I can't believe the time has gone and where where did it go and in a way the, the haiku book is the only evidence I have of the of the time because I don't have any felt hats or quilts or sourdough bread or you know, potholders that I made during the pandemic, with a, as, a, as a pandemic project, my project was my haiku diary.
1: And it had, did it have a therapeutic effect for you in terms of being able to objectify the experience by putting it in words on paper?
0: It really did because it, it became a, a focus for the day. So we'd, ha- we'd, ha- we'd, we'd have our breakfast, then we'd go for our walk on our roads out here and then, then I'd go into my study and, and, and look at the news and read articles on the paper. And then I'd start writing my haiku. So they, it, they became a real focus. Um, it was a way of passing time because during the day when there wasn't anything to do in lockdown because we couldn't go anywhere or do anything, they really were a, a, a way of processing what was happening, a way of passing time, and a way of understanding in myself what was going on and, and just making sense of this mad world that we were living in. It was so mad. The world was just crazy. And in a way... The haikus were a piece of sanity for me because they were structured, they were focused, they were about information and it was about me teasing it out and and making sense of it.
1: Yeah, and I think there was a universal recognition of the challenge to mental health that the strictures of lockdown and the pandemic were producing. And as someone who's always been open about their mental health issues, um, did you feel that it had a particular impact?
0: Yes and no. I mean, you know, in a way, the irony was that as the world got madder, which it did, I became saner. And I love irony. I really love irony. But it was just strange because I sort of saw myself writing these haikus and I saw how sane the haikus were when I read them. There was such sanity in them, but the world around me was just going crazy. And in a way, it's sort of funny because what was happening in the world with all the conspiracy theories and the Trump, the Trump circus, and and the pandemic, all this craziness around me was so strange because it made us schizos look so sane. It was bizarre. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, well, it, it certainly was a challenging time for most people and um, and it was a whole set of things that we would never have imagined could have happened like supermarkets running out of food and toilet paper and you not being able to go more than five kilometres and people missing out on weddings and funerals and birthday parties and shows and you know the entertainment industry being shut down I mean it was extraordinary what everybody had to go through really yeah Yeah.
0: and I think a lot of my mad comrades said um, people were saying how they were feeling isolated and lonely and anxious and and their mental health having mental health crises um, people who wouldn't normally present to us a, a therapist or a psych ward and we're saying well welcome to our world this is what we had to endure all our lives as mental health patients and now suddenly sane people are experiencing what we've been demonized for having you know so yes. that was interesting in itself too so we said welcome to our world.
1: Yes I, I think you know mental health issues suddenly became a much more universal experience.
0: And telehealth was um, being used endlessly by people and people were presenting to psych wards and therapists were booked out. People couldn't get a therapist because they were were already overused and booked out and it was really uh, really a crisis for people but it's a funny one because what tragedy and what drama does for people's psyche, it really does put them on the edge.
1: Yeah. So let's talk about some of the poems. Let's start with reading a few of the the haiku. Now, first of all, um, how do you define haiku?
0: Haiku is a Japanese form, or it comes from a Japanese form, and it's three lines, and it's um, five syllables, seven syllables, five syllables. So it's uh, fairly structured, fairly strict, and I think the thing about haikus is that whilst it looks like a, a very truncated form, you can say so much in it. It sort of it, it, it leads itself to expansive ideas. And that's what I think is really interesting about it because people think, oh, you've only got three lines and 17 syllables. But I found that, I don't know, originally I was just going to write one haiku a day just to try and capture the day. Yeah. And it just got out of hand. Like I, Suddenly I was writing 10, 20 a day And it just got completely out of hand, and and I had haikus coming out of me like they were pouring out of me like water. And I couldn't, I couldn't not see the world in through the prism of a haiku. So I found myself, um, I'd hear a sentence or or read a sentence, and my fingers would start counting syllables. Yeah. So my fingers were endlessly moving, counting syllables. I I talk about it in the book as OCD, my obsessive counting disorder. Because I just couldn't, I just couldn't stop thinking in haiku. So I thought in haiku, saw the world in haikus, and then wrote the world in haikus. And it just was—I became an obsession. But it was a, it was a functional, productive obsession.
1: Yeah. Well, where would you like to begin?
0: Um, I'll start with page 21, where I talk about myself. So the first haiku is called "alone." The next one's "covid waters," and then the next one's "on watch." So it was. Day 16, the 24th of July 2020. I feel so alone, locked up in my pandemic melancholic mind, working on myself to keep my head above the deep COVID waters. Now is not the time to fall into psychosis on mental health watch.
1: Yes, well, that's right. It's this inner experience of the pandemic that uh, is so beautifully captured there, that, you know, the melancholic mind that is so overwhelming, really, because we weren't able to get away from it.
0: I mean, we couldn't get away from ourselves either. Cause because we were locked up in our homes with, just with ourselves or with the people around us, it was really challenging to to watch your own mind and see how it works. And, of course, my mind has spiralled out of control with schizophrenia many times. So I was constantly on mental health watch because I sort of worried for my own sanity. But, um, as I said, I sort of became saner through the whole pandemic drama. Right. It was just strange. It was really strange. Amazing. It was.
1: Yeah. Okay. And where, where will we go next?
0: Pandemic allergy. I wanted to write an emblematic poem about the pandemic, and this was early on again. It was the day 24, the 1st of August. We had had uh, 397 cases and three deaths. So with the um, two, 2.2 lockdown, I have not just the day and the, and the date. I've got the number of deaths and the number of cases as well. So it's very detailed. But this is the pandemic allergy after um, Sophie Black, who wrote an article for The Guardian, I think it was. During the first wave, morale-boosting messages graced our homes and streets. Now rainbows have peeled off fences along empty suburban streets, while the chalk pictures on our paths have long washed away. A deep spectral fear hangs over Melbourne like a widow's long black veil. Life is so different. Playgrounds taped over, the CBD deserted, skate bowls graveled up. First hotspots were named. Then the towers were locked down, our togetherness lost. But still there are men in high vis vests and hats building our city. For what and whom? We live in a ghost town, zombies in designer masks, shrugging off grief by acknowledging that others are so much worse off. The people battling mental illness, losing homes, the ones unemployed, those losing loved ones, they are among us neighbors friends and work colleagues we envy other states their beaches and cafes while we're pariahs first wave fear is back before an end was in sight now there is no end trying to make sense of an unraveling world that is downright mad
1: that's a wonderful poem and i like the way that all the different haiku stanzas join together
0: Yes, I, I found I, I, when I found I just had to, have to say more in a poem. I thought, well, how can I do this? So I just did haikus, um, you know, haiku after haiku, and, and strung them together as a, as a as one poem. I think if I'd written the book as just a sequence of free verse poems or structured poems, it would have been different. It wouldn't have been the same book as I've done with the haikus. I, for some reason, the haikus fitted the. The diary, the diary narrative, and the diary—the idea of collecting information in in a diary—so it just sort of fitted so nicely that it worked well. And it it would have been different just writing, you know, random poems. It wouldn't have been the same.
1: Yes. Well, there's there's so many themes that you capture with the haiku, and because you you also have an international focus, and you talk about Trump and Jacinda Ardern and. And then all the issues in, in Australia, like aged care and jobkeeper yeah. and the economy and the arts workers, and so perhaps this this small succinct form enables you to focus on each one of those issues at different times as they, as they change.
0: Yeah, it did. It, it gave me um, freedom in a way that uh, I, I didn't think I would have. But yes, it it did give me freedom.
1: Yep.
0: And it was quite quite. And, and as I say, you can say a lot in a haiku or a sequence of haikus.
1: Yes. Yeah. No, it's is, a great form.
0: Yeah, it's a really good form.
1: It's, um, it's, it's a complicated time to reflect back on because there was so many challenges but there were also some good things you know, like people being taken away from ordinary you know, commuting to work and daily commitments meant that they had time to think about other things and to look up different ideas and start different hobbies and do things in a different way using Zoom and and so on. What did you find were the good things that came out of the pandemic for you? Uh,
0: Well, a couple couple of things. The poetry night that I run at Christmas Hills at the Hall, that went on to Zoom. So um, it meant that I captured a lot of people who who participated who wouldn't normally come out to the Hall at Christy Hills. So that worked really well and and the format, um, the Zoom format suited a a poetry reading because you could have people doing their singular readings the featured reader and it was terrific. So that was that was great, um, and the, uh, and then of course I, we, I formed my we formed our music trio in Christmas Hills. Uh, another, uh, I played violin and viola, and then um, we had another violinist and a cellist. And we would meet whenever we could in in a house or in the hall when we were allowed to, and we played beautiful music together, um, and it was lovely. And then uh, I formed I started playing duets with the violinist from that trio, Linda. And she would be my bubble buddy when my friends were travelling. She would come to our, my house, and we'd spend a couple of hours, a couple of times a week, playing duets, and that was just beautiful and really um, a positive thing, and it improved my playing. And it was just the most wonderful experience to make to make genuine, beautiful classical music together.
1: Yeah, well, that's fantastic. And is there a, a haiku about that?
0: There is. It's called Saving Grace. Playing violin duets with bubble buddy Linda has been the most wondrous of times during this lockdown. Our two instruments melded together to lift our spirits and join with the celestial choir. It was comfort and solace during a tough time. Music shone a light.
1: Yes, it's wonderful uh, how we can discover different talents when we have the time to look into them. You know, we have the... The freedom and the time.
0: Yeah, and, a, and the privilege. I mean, I feel so privileged to sit down and play music with my muso mates. It's just, um, you know, it's, a, it's an absolute beautiful privilege to have, to be able to play. I, mean, I don't play well. I'm not a fantastic violinist, but I can bash you out a tune. And um, it's just a privilege. Yeah, it's all I can say.
1: Yeah. Now, you've got a set of haikus in here called lessons, the things that we learnt from the, hi- from the pandemic. Would you like to read that?
0: Yes, I'll I'll read that. Yes, it's a a sequence of haikus. Lessons. What's the pandemic taught us about ourselves? That social discipline's in our DNA? That some are more equal than others? That trust in governments has climbed? While mistakes are made, we are happy to oblige? I awake to the mental stress of the lockdown. Confined to home and reading that kids are suffering with their fenced-in, no-friends lives. They have replaced the old as our most vulnerable. With their learning now online, can technology deliver a meaningful educational experience? Or is that a delusion pushed by the bureaucrats? Teachers are fed up. We are all fed up. But do we trust our leaders that this lockdown is about community first, not their approval? We live day to day in an information surge. Journalists write their op-eds while pollies hit the media. Info overload for us. Our faith is tested. Are we being hoodwinked or are our eyes wide shut? I can't help but feel that if Melburnians are not broken yet, then we soon will be as each day passes in our sad, unquiet city.
1: Yes, looking back, there was a feeling of, like, how long is this going to go on for and will anything ever be the same and, you know, are all the businesses going to close down? Will we ever get back to going to live events? You know, there was a real feeling of uncertainty.
0: Oh, it was awful and and the uncertainty was what killed people, I think. And I think the uncertainty which brought on fear was what I think inspired a lot of the conspiracy theories that started floating around as well. And that people people's anxiety was feeding into this idea that these strange things were happening in the world that were causing us to have COVID and were making the vaccines unsafe. And the whole conspiracy theory stuff was just so, so extraordinary. And that was really the golden age of, of conspiracy theories. Yeah.
1: And I mean, you know, the reality that... You know, the human beings have been occupying the natural world and pushing wildlife out of its native place, and then we're exposing ourselves to the viruses that are in the natural world is perhaps too mundane to be easily accepted.
0: <laughs> well, I suppose. So. I mean, none of us thought we'd be in a pandemic in our lifetime. Yeah, true. Yeah, you know, it was just, it just came out of nowhere. And um, it just was, the disruption was extraordinary, and none of us thought this would ever happen to us. We thought that the Spanish flu of the, of the uh, early twentieth early century was, was big enough and would never happen again. But of course, now we know that we are vulnerable to virus, and that a virus can happen any any time, anywhere, and it can get out of control.
1: Yes, yes, it's a it's a new it's a new awareness about the world that we didn't and have.
0: And about our
1: vulnerability too. Yes, that's right. And I mean, the strange theatre of the world at the time of the last two years with Trump's madness and, you know, tens of thousands of people dying every day under his watch, and, you know, him suggesting, you know, horse worming tablets <laughs> or whatever it was you know i mean
0: yeah hydroxy whatever it was invermectin and uh, hydroxychloroquine and it, yeah. yeah
1: i mean like there was this weird theater background noise that
0: it uh, wasn't just background noise it was invading our lives because the whole trump thing in the american election uh, in that november of that of 2021 or 2020 Uh, It just captured our lives. It it overtook everything. And in a way, it was a distraction from the pandemic because it was such a circus. And the stuff that was happening in America was just so bizarre. And you thought, this place that that prides itself on on, on its exceptionalism, you could see falling apart before your very eyes. It was almost falling into civil war. It was um, just the democracy was becoming compromised. Before our very eyes, this huge, wonderful, great nation was falling apart.
1: Yeah, looking more and more like a failed state.
0: Oh, certainly it was. It is a failed state. We know that now. Um, Which is really sad to see because they prided themselves on their exceptionalism, but the exceptionalism is long gone.
1: Yeah, well, it's the inequality, I think, that's uh, undermined their exceptionalism.
0: Yeah, mm. and and their democracy, which is a sham, really. Mm. I mean, the idea that you, you buy your way into their into their government, and that um they've they um prevent people from voting through all sorts of dodgy dodgy things. It's just extraordinary.
1: Yeah, it is. So now let's move back to some more haiku.
0: Okay, so the last one in the book is a summation of lockdown. Lockdown six, yeah. Lockdown six is a summation. So I, I couldn't put that. It's actually another manuscript which is Lockdown six, and it's all mm. all eighty days of Lockdown six. But it couldn't go in this book because it would have made the book four hundred pages long. It's already long enough now. I think I can at the haikus. There's over over two thousand six hundred haikus that I wrote. Wow, that's extraordinary, it, isn't it? It is. It's a lot of haikus. Uh, yeah. So this is um called Can You Believe It? And it was uh, lockdown six, which happened on the 5th of August last year. So 2021. 2021, and it starts off oh bugger. Here we go again, lockdown despair, as we are back in detention. We were only one week out of the last lockdown. So how long this time? We went from zero cases to a lockdown in 24 hours. No one's smug now. As we witness how quickly things can turn around, with young folks at risk, and no, not just the old, so hence the call to quick action, everything comes to a crashing halt yet again. Work, play, music, sport. I can't say how I feel right now, but our COVID hopelessness hits hard. March 2020, we thought the plague would be done by the year's end, and yet... Here we are, still grappling, but now with Delta's deadly contagion. We ride this wave of the pandemic with blood, sweat and fears for our health. We're overwhelmed by uncertainty fatigue. Can't plan tomorrow, can't plan next week, can't plan for anything. We're in chaos as restaurants turf their supplies and businesses close, weddings are shelved, birthdays cancelled, funerals pruned, and we prepare to enter our caves, inconsolable. Hundreds gather on the streets, boisterous, dissenting, lighting flares, chanting COVID is fake and no more lockdown. Frustration is boiling over. As people grieve for the things they have lost, their fuming anger ricochets. As it stands now, three quarters of Australia is in lockdown. Unreal. Unreal. New South Wales struggles to contain the virus and the rising death toll as it becomes the epicentre of the plague. It's not going well. While Melbourne's racked up over 200 days of lockdown since last year, life is difficult. With harsh rules and a curfew, our movement's stifled. It's hard to to stay buoyant when you are swamped by the pandemic sludge. And the snap lockdown is not just seven days. It's never-ending weeks. Delta's the winner. Gladys ran up the white flag. Dan thrown in the towel. Ironically, Dan and Gladys are on the same page, abandoning Zero Cases' quest, sounding more like Morrison as the plague rolls on. We're told we have to learn to live with the virus as it invades us. Our hope lies with the vaccines, which, sadly were not on offer last year. It's biblical here in Melbourne. Plague, rioting, and mother earthquake. We're on our knees, the foundations are crumbling while our hope teeters. And then suddenly the epicenter of the plague shifts back to us. Melbourne bears the brunt yet again. We're stunned mullets brushing tears from eye. We wonder, will this never end? Will we ever feel normal again? Give me my COVID comfort food, comfort music, comfort poetry. And into lockdown, infinity.
1: Yes, it's um, a good summation of uh, the year, of, yeah. of the two years.
0: Yeah, well that was, um, yeah, was lockdown six and all the rioting. Then we had the, they had the uh, quake, the earthquake and mm. the rioting and the plague. It was just so biblical in Melbourne.
1: This is the 3CR Spoken Word Program and I've been talking to Sandy Jeffs about her new book, The Poetics of a Plague, A Haiku Diary. Congratulations, Sandy, on your book.
0: Oh, thanks, Di. I appreciate it. As I, as I was saying earlier, it's a quirky book and I don't, people don't quite know what to make of it because it's, um, it's not a book of poems and it's not a history. It's a, it's a social history written in haiku.
1: Yes, and... It's an experiment in some ways, you know, and it sort of pushes the boundaries of form, and I think that's a great achievement in itself.
0: Yes, and I must commend Spinifex for taking it on too, for publishing it. Because when I when I wrote the haikus, I, I never thought in a million years it would find they would find their way into a book. Um, that this is a bonus on this is a cherry on the cake as far as I'm concerned because. I just wrote them for my own, for my own, you know, um, my own records and my own, my own reckoning of, of the of the times. And um, I, I really commend Susan and Renata and Spin for taking it on. And it's a brave, it's a brave thing to take on because, as I say, it's a quirky book. Yes,
1: and I mean, we are still so close to the pandemic. Uh, you know, we still have mask rules in Victoria at the moment and and various restrictions. So it, it's a it's a time that people may not feel so interested in reflecting on yet. You know, yeah. there isn't a great distance about it. But I think that, um, you know, this is such a detailed history that it has a great place in recording the experience for the future.
0: I hope so. I hope, I hope people do find their way to it and appreciate that, um, that it, it's a it's my it's, it's, I describe it as um, the world through the eyes of an old lefty <laughs> that's one way of describing it because the politics in it are very obvious and I'm a Danophile so you know, there's, a, there's a poem for Dan in there but uh, it is it is the world through the eyes of an old lefty and which I think is one way of seeing it
1: Yes, well, you know us old lefties still have a, have a place in the world <laughs>
0: <laughs> I hope so Yeah,
1: definitely <laughs> Okay, well, thanks for coming on the, the program.
0: Oh, thanks for having me. I appreciate it.
1: Yeah, okay. My name is Di Cousins, and this has been the 3CR Spoken Word Program.